Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hi, hi. So exciting news. We're getting some, what do we call it? Advertising, not, right? Not products. Not products. <laughs> uh, but we are going to get some advertising. And in order to help us out, it would be awesome if you could click the link uh, in the description of this episode. Fill out a little survey so we know what, we, so we know what you want. Uh, so the advertisements uh, can actually be worthwhile and not drive you completely insane. And the information is confidential. We don't take emails or names or anything. You're not going to get on any kind of weird list or anything like that. Yep. It just helps us out. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Hail yourselves and enjoy this episode. There's no place to escape to. This is the last talk. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? What age do you think prospectors get the voice? (laughs) What do you mean? Do you think it's just 16? Because they talk about how, like, in Frontier Times, like, the little boys and little girls, once you're 12 and 13 years old, right, and you're on the same trip, you're going out to California, these are the people you're going to be with for the rest of your life. Of this course. is your wife now. Yeah. You just, it's the first person you look at, even if it's, like, bent back Gertha, you are now, that's <laughs> well, your wife. nothing's wrong with that. But they go out there and they make, they make love out in the dunes or in the salt flats, wherever they're at, because that's how you go to sneak off, even though it was a very kind of, like, at the time, it was very kind of evangelical and very Christian, nobody like talking about sex, but people were still having sex. Uh-huh. Do you think it's the first time you nut next to a wagon that you're like, Becky, this is the most wonderful time I've ever had. She's like, yeah, baby, it is for you then. I don't know what they talk like. It's a different time. <laughs> I don't know. And oh, then he right. turns well, to them, is- and then all of a sudden, as he nuts, he goes, there's gold in them nuts here. <laughs> I see. Well, so it's sort of a coming of age voice. Well, all right. Well, that's an interesting way to start. This is the last podcast on the left. I am Ben Kissel. Marcus Parks. How are you, buddy? I'm good. That's good. We have Prospector Henry Zabrowski. Whoa! <laughs> I eat my head and they ain't no gold and them not here. All right. So why are we talking about prospecting? You may ask yourself. We're going in the way, way back machine. We're going to talk about the journey of the Donner Party. Ooh, it's a history episode. I'm so excited. Now, this isn't like a party, though, right? It's not like an actual party. Is that my understanding? No, it's not. Okay. No, it's not. It does. It is fun to think about it like that because you can hear the bam, 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 
Ooh, the Donners were having another party. Everybody's like full stiff burlap, just slapping their weird jerky like parts on top of each other. Um, but actually, welcome. It's back to school. Right? Well, that's yes. what this is. This yeah. is a back to school episode. And a partially it's got to do with the fact that, like, you know, you read about the Donner Party. I think it's very similar to when we first did Rasputin, where it's like, I've heard about the Donner Party. I was raised by television, so I just imagined it was like five people in one wagon and that was it. Right. But there's actually like. A lot more stuff. <laughs> yeah. More than one wagon, huh? This is one of the most harrowing, brutal stories mm. that I've ever read in my life. And I would say one of the most terrifying. All right, cool. It is truly frightening. And one of our sources that we'll get into really spells it out in a way that, like, uh, I had nightmares last night. I had full-on Donner Party mm. nightmares yeah. that were very disconcerting. All right. And the journey of the Donner Party was the American frontier's most infamous expedition consisting of 87 eastern settlers bound for the promise of a better life in california in the year 1846 oh everything's gonna work out fine i can already tell (laughs) you can tell it's got a happy ending (laughs) however what promised to be a relatively simple dream would eventually turn into a hellish nightmare of disease starvation murder and cannibalism. Ooh, we're getting into some Dahmer territory here. What I love about Donner Party now revisionism, because mm. now we're obviously once generations of books get written, is that like you know a lot of the more modern books be like everyone wants to, all they want to speak about is the cannibalism in this story. Well, but what about the plight of the pioneer in general? And we're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we want to talk about the cannibalism. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. strange to have starvation and cannibalism. Well, I guess they didn't get the. Uh, well, they yeah, got of the course. No, starvation yeah, always precedes cannibalism, well, unless yeah. you're getting into anthropomorphagy, yes. which is just hmm. the eating of peoples, which uh, is a lot of the, uh, what would like the Papua New Guinea tribes will mm-hmm. often uh, eat the bodies of their enemies. Remember Cannibal oh, Holocaust? Of course. Yeah, that's anthropomorphagy. Like, there's actually another great Italian horror film called, like, Anthrop- Anthropophagus, Anthropomorphagus. Ah, uh, make the name so they can't say it. <laughs> that's how you do it. But then you just point at the cover with the girl with the, it's got to be, it has to be a, a nude woman covered in blood. Blood, and then all of a sudden you're like, that one. You're like, anthropomorphagia. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into the Donner Party story, let's acknowledge our sources. There's The Indifferent Stars Above by Daniel James Brown, mm. Desperate Passage by Ethan Rarick, special thanks to research assistant Rachel for tackling that one, mm. and the American Experience documentary about the Donner Party that was made by the lesser known of the Burns Brothers, Rick. <laughs> oh, is that like George Burns? <laughs> no, Ken Burns. Jesus. It's oh, Rick fuck, and I'm a Honestly, I'm just going to say it's a boring Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't know why. I know they know a lot of stuff. This is a metal story. Yeah. This is a very, as we get into this, you're going to see, like, because that's a part of it. It's like, it's it's very, very intense. But I feel like historians always want to do the thing where every video about the Donna Party starts with the prairies. <laughs> Once filled with the buffalo, wild, prancing buffalo. Their sight here was once absolutely amazing. Get to the cannibalism. (laughs) Can you get to when they eat the people? You are being uncouth, sir. That is not the most interesting part here. Do you know that the buffalo, there were many here before. Now there's only 10, 11, 12. When do they kill each other? Uh, by the way, the indifferent stars above is fucking fantastic. 
fantastic. Okay. It combines the harrowing story of the Donner Party with other stories of survival and the sciences behind the whole catastrophe. Cool. It is a brilliant nonfiction book. And it's also interesting if you're interested in frontier America, but... We're not going to get into a ton of that because as fascinating as wagon manifests are to me, yeah. I would imagine that's not why most of our listeners are here today. Well, if you want to know a lot about that culture, watch a great movie, Shakiest Gun in the West. <laughs> it stars Don Knotts, and it is full of humor, and it's incredible. Well, absolutely. If you want to go to Williamsburg, Virginia and spend a day, that's great. Oh, go yeah. there, but that's not what this podcast is no. going to be. And I want to say thank you, oh, Marcus. You did hold back because there was a part of me that was a little afraid as soon as we started up being like this podcast this episode just can't be about like all the different types of shovels that they use yeah you guys were arguing about that i was like i kind of want to know the different types of shovels if you want to know read uh, the indifferent stars above there are many a wagon manifest on there and it's fascinating to know exactly what they brought with them and what they had to jettison along the way and williamsburg virginia has absolutely nothing to do with our episode here if you really want to know the history go to independence missouri i don't know I don't know. I didn't, I've never been. I was never a frontier boy. I was right. never one of those that was a big like like old west kind of person. I like sci fi. I like robots. Yeah. So, but the idea is now going back, and that's why Westworld was so good because it for me brought all the learning together by making the cowboys robots, and now I'm interested. Right. You might like this great Will Smith vehicle, Wild Wild West, <laughs> if you're really into that. Uh, <laughs> see, the frontiers people, like these are my ancestors. Okay. Like these are these are my people, the ones that went out west just cause. Yeah. Because they sure. fucking wanted to. And also, they probably had no choice, because even my ancestors that came to America in the mm. first time were probably criminals. Yeah, of course. And naturally, when they're in their little wagon, they're like, man, it's really cracking in here. I think we're going to, I think we're breaking a wheel. And they're like, no, that's rickety Steve Parks. <laughs> Every time he moves, it just sounds like the earth is breaking. <laughs> I always ruin the surprise birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, also thought was really nice about Indifference of the Stars Above was that it really did paint the picture of the pioneers in a way that I didn't really like. I I obviously know that they were not like the way we see them in movies. They're not always like just stalwart men with their mm. buxom women mending clothes and you know like and it's not all just like it's not all the what you see in the movies. But they they were radical people. Yeah. They were very very intense, fiercely independent in a way that people that nowadays say that they're fiercely independent don't actually know what that means. No. Where it's just like especially like the Grace family where like those guys were just being like fuck it. It's like, we just build houses wherever. It's like, if there ain't a house there, it was like, oh, man, it's kind of cold outside. They just build a house, yeah. which is, like, very difficult. And it's not like Monopoly. Oh. You don't just put it there. It's really <laughs> no. difficult. They're, All right. No, the Grace family, like, they were so independent that it was not only I'm going to build a house, but I'm going to travel two miles east from you to build my house because I don't want you fucking with my shit. All right. I don't want it. I don't even want one of your fine shovels. Can we just... Yeah? Put- no, I don't want well, Now it's four miles. Don't want now it's four miles. However, even though we're not going to get in a wagon manifest, some history is needed for context, as you can't really understand the scope of the Donner Party's mistakes and the indifferent evil of the people who led them astray without Mm. knowing what was going on in America at the time. So America in the 1840s was beset by a crippling economic depression and outbreaks of typhus and malaria. Ah. Long before anything west of Missouri was more than what was then known as an unorganized territory. Well, 
unorganized territory. It seemed to be pretty organized by the people that were living there already. <laughs> right. Uh, we went and kind of just occupied. But a, a part of it, too, was that the, the they were so nuts. People were just so hardy. Where they would just be like, yeah, you know, the one of the problems of moving with Ohio territory is you get the shakes disease, which is that you'd go out there and they'd live in the swamp and they get bit by mosquitoes and they're just like, and to them it was just a matter of course is that if you lived in Ohio, eventually you got a disease where you just violently shake right. with fever, <laughs> like, and it would come back and forth, like it would come back three or four times a year and be like. Oh, there goes Grable's now. And it's like, Grable's like, morning. And then he's like, you see his eyes go. And he just starts. And it's like, oh, it must be time to pick the rice fields. Like, they know that. And they acted like it was fine. Like, it was normal. But it turned out it was rampant malaria. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So to escape economic hardship and disease, thousands of settlers traveled west to California and Oregon. And since some of these lands were at best vaguely ruled by governments thousands of miles away, Away, some looked at what Texas had done just 10 years earlier and said, fuck, I can do that. Oh, sure. If they did it in Texas, they can do it anywhere. <laughs> That's not true. Texas got a very special spirit. Yeah, I know that. We I absolutely do. I know it. Now, one such man was Lansford Hastings, a former lawyer turned explorer who had written a book called The Emigrant's Guide to Oregon and California. How bad do you have to fail as a lawyer? To just have to be like, I gotta go out west. <laughs> well, it's it's straight up just being he like, must have really screwed over. I'm an explorer now. Like the idea of that, you just leave and ramble, and then you're an explorer, and it's just like, there's got to be some kind of desert rat out here that needs a lawyer. <laughs> One of you's got to have committed some kind of murder. But this man, you can say, yes, he's evil. Yes, he's exploiter of many, many different types of people. Yes, he was a person that viewed the dollar bill as over any sort of loss of human life. But technically, Lansford Hastings, these are the type of guys that really made this country. Mm -hmm. They actually were. I mean, they were the ones that got them all out there. We're going to get into how they did it. You know, while that immigrant's guide was helpful in some respects, Hmm. Lansford had an ulterior motive for writing it. See, there were a fair amount of white settlers trickling into California, but Lansford wanted more. His goal was to flood California with whites, overwhelming the existing Mexican population with sheer numbers, effectively spawning a bloodless revolution. Now, now are they all actors, or <laughs> why are they going out there? That's, that's a little wild. Well, the East, what it was with the East is the East was spoken for. All okay. of it was like it was overcrowded. All of the land was pretty much spoken for. Uh, yeah, it was rampant with typhus and malaria. Mm. Typhus was a huge problem. Uh, and so people were just kind of going out mm. west. Uh, but not a lot of people were, more people were going to Oregon. You know, the whole Oregon Trail bullshit. Right, the a lot video more, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot more people were going to Oregon. But Lansford, he wanted people to come into California because even though Texas had gained their independence from Mexico 10 years earlier, it was very, very bloody. Interesting. And of course, since Hastings was the man who had led all these people there, Mm. he thought who would be better to lead a new government as emperor 
than Hastings himself. That's crazy. <laughs> you know what makes you super like appropriate for the job is if you have the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Being an emperor starts with an idea, yeah. and then all of a sudden you secret your way all the way to having a little crown. Uh-huh. And even if you're just emperor of your man cave, yeah, that's all like you when, need. It's like when Dick Cheney was actually in charge of finding the vice president for W, and then he was just like, yes. I'll do it. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Cheney, for all the hard work. What a service. You know, he got one of those divining rods that he was just like, ah, no, no good, no good. Wait, wait, where is it pointing? It's pointing towards, it's me. I also got to say, Emperor, that's a little bit classless because Sam Houston, at least he had the good sense to just call himself a president after oh. gaining independence from Mexico. All right. Well, the, there you go. The Republic of Texas, not the Empire of California. No way. Blech. Whoa. Yeah. And that's where California's always been wrong. <laughs> But if Hastings wanted his flood of whites, he had to make California sound like an easy street paradise. Mm. He said the road out west was not without its dangers, but it was still smooth. And that nobody had to worry about Indian attacks anymore because all the Indians were dead from disease. Mm. In fact, the entire ground around the abandoned villages were carpeted with human skulls. And he touted that as a positive. I can see your great, 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 great uncle. Get up one day and be like, we got to go. Pack up the wagons. There's skulls in them dark hills. And they're like, no, Grandpa Marcus, no. And he's out there just dancing with the skulls. Skulls are friends. You can make them say anything you like. Always complimenting you. Yeah. If Lansford was smart, if he wanted a flood of whites, he should have had a pop-up Roy Orbison concert. They would, by law, we have to go watch that. Get a, get a couple of fiddle players going. You got Roy Orbison, a Steely Dan. Oh, sure. Get him out there. Because especially if you want... Just stepfather, so we'll talk to you about how good their double pane windows are. That's how you get them out. Oh yeah, whites are like Pepe Le Pew when it comes to Steely Dan. We smell. We got a whiff of that. We got to float over there. See what's see what's going on. I'm just seeing what's going on. Well, Hastings also had a little secret weapon, something that was mentioned so briefly in his guide that one could almost consider it an Easter egg. Hmm. Hastings' book told of a then unknown shortcut to California. Because they, we used to have to go. They used to have to go all the way around, right? Yeah. They had to go, like, up north and then back down. They had to to go through pretty much, like, Wyoming, kind of dipping in Nevada mm. a little bit. And then the Oregon Trail would continue off north and go right. And then the trail to California, like down to Sacramento, would go left. Hmm. And Hastings said that the most direct path would be to leave the tried-and-true Oregon Trail route Go through the Wasatch Mountains and cross the Great Salt Lake Desert of Utah, thereby cutting considerable time from the journey. About He said it was about cutting 400 miles off the journey. Okay. Problem was, Hastings had never actually traveled the route himself. He just looked at a map and figured since it looked easy on paper, it's probably going to be easy when people got there. I'm just really happy that his great-great-great-great-grandson has now started the company Waze. <laughs> which is yes. good. Yes. But, uh... It, this is a true example of the magical axiom. The map is not the territory. Mm-hmm. Like you actually can. That is the the lesson to be learned here. Is that he just looked at it and he's like, "Oh yeah, you could do this." And at the time, it was just like it was just a salt desert, and now it's known kind of as the Great Salt Lake Desert. But at the time, he was trying to brush it off, being like, "It's just kind of a minor." salt desert Doesn't and it's like good. it's not no man yeah. it's not he told him it was about it's 40 not. miles all right now the old west was 
filled with shit like this that led to disaster. Like, for example, back in the late 1800s, greedy land prospectors told folk out east that Oklahoma was a paradise, <laughs> which was a lie. But <laughs> no. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But they, yeah. but they made it sound like it was the best farmland that ever existed. Mm. So that led to oversettling. And oversettling led to over-farming, and that partly led to the Dust Bowl, which was the biggest environmental disaster America has ever seen. I remember that the Packers won that game. Uh, that's the Ice Bowl. <laughs> you, Kissel, yeah. you are just, you are just the uh, living animal. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot much. more to, led to the Dust Bowl, like, you know, the Great Depression and all that, but still, like, it was over, like, these, hmm. the, the Old West was just filled with hucksters that had no foresight whatsoever as to what their uh, policies and what their, actual, what they were doing was going to affect in the future. But but it lent to the power of the American dream. Oh. These hucksters fed off of the energy in a weird loop of the people that wanted to go west in the first place. And the idea of manifest destiny, the idea that we're supposed to go and conquer the Pacific coast, that it's our de- that we're it's our fate. And yeah. then everyone's out there trying to be like, we can get it with a rucksack and a pile of coal and, and a couple of canvas shoes. I could go out there and I, too, could be an emperor of California. Yeah. And then there's just millions of people being like, we're already here, sir. <laughs> sir, we're here already. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Oh. Boom! Just musket, musket Brutal. fire over the ridge. Yeah, by this point, Ugh. I think uh, the Mexicans, like you know, Spanish settlers, they'd been in California for about three hundred years wow. at this point. Yeah, two th- two fifty. Yeah, three hundred years. So it was like a well established place. Okay. And as far as like the pamphlets and all the lies and ruses went, people fell for this shit all the time. Mm. One such man was a wealthy, overconfident investor and entrepreneur named James. Read. To read, Hastings' book was gospel, and the promise of a shortcut combined with his own arrogance led to the deaths of dozens. In my mind, dream casting for James Reed, Richard Dreyfus. Ooh, <laughs> actually, it's pretty good. See, even though history now attaches the name Donner to collapse catastrophe and cannibalism, it was actually James Reed who should take the lion's share of the blame for what happened in the winter of 1846. Hmm. Unbelievable! I'm going to take take most of the blame! That's unbelievable! (laughs) It's the Reed party! All right. See, the road out west was extremely dangerous, but not necessarily fatal to the majority of those who traveled it. It's estimated that only 4% of the people who took wagon trains in the 1840s died, and many of those were children who didn't really stand much of a chance no matter where they were in those days. Can I read an excerpt from Indifference Starves Above of all the different ways children can die (laughs) on the wagon trail? This is fucking awful. How do they do it? Yeah, this is amazing. All right. The number of ways in which their children might come to harm along the trail was staggering, and women who had to drive a team or repair a wagon were unable to devote much time to watching out for them. Children fell under wagon wheels and were crushed to death or crippled for life. They wandered off into the tall grass and were never seen again. Occasionally, they were abducted by Native Americans. Much more frequently, they drowned when swept away by rivers their families were trying to ford. Drowning incidents were so common, in fact, that some mothers wrote their children's names in indelible ink on labels and sewed the labels into their children's clothes. It didn't prevent them from drowning, but it sometimes allowed the grieving mother to identify a body that has been in the water too long. 
Children were bitten by rattlesnakes, struck by lightning, <laughs> trampled by unruly oxen or horses, pummeled by hailstones as large as turkey eggs, and shot by the nearly daily accidental discharges of the guns that their fathers carried. They died of measles, diphtheria, whooping cough, influenza, tuberculosis, typhoid fever, malaria, infected guts, food poisoning, mumps, and smallpox. The one that I'm not really sold on is they, uh, they just walked into the tree, or they just walked into the grass. Yeah, dude. And then the parents were like, there's no way we can go in there. Yeah. We're doomed. Yeah. No, it's He's not, just it, lost forever. It's, it's not there's no way we're going to go in there. It's a, You can't really can't imagine the vastness of these uh, lands. Mm. Uh, and I could absolutely, like when we were kids, you know, yes. and we'd say, like, we're going off into the pasture. We'll see you later. Sure. Uh, there was definitely, like, trails and areas that were like, you stay in that area, watch out for rattlesnakes right uh but that's the thing is that you could a child could very easily become completely lost and you just mm. never ever find him again i can absolutely see this happening it could be a fun adventure for that kid though i mean it would be a fun adventure until you know they starved to death or were just you know killed by a rattlesnake or you know they eventually would starve and then they'd probably collapse and then a coyote would probably find him and then eat him alive you ever see jungle book Jungle, jungle Book is a different story. He was taken care of by the animals. We yeah. had indifferent animals. Our animals are not like Jungle Book characters. Mm. They show up and they're like, oh, that's funny. They'll be your friend for a while, and then all of a sudden they're just chewing on your fucking belly. Right. It's like if Mowgli was just skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, 4% of people died. To mm. put that into perspective, that was still, by my calculations, about 20,000 bodies buried or just simply left on the trail, hundreds if not thousands of miles away from a doctor. Hmm. But to be fair... It's not like a doctor would really help that much anyway. No, dude. <laughs> Doctors are fucked up back then, man. As per the indifferent starts above, here's a rate card for a typical frontier doctor. Okay. Medical advice, $1. Oh. Huh. Opening an abscess, 50 cents. Ooh, it's uh, going down. Yeah. I like this. To uh, tooth removal, sure. 50 cents. Oh. Nice. Enemas, a dollar. <laughs> a dollar? <laughs> you gotta get them out, doctor. <laughs> wow. I've been saving all Two my tax here. shit, all my jerky <laughs> shits, up inside my guts. You come and get them with an enema, doctor. Enema. More like my friend Emma. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Toes and fingers amputated, $5 each. Oh. Huh. Arms, $10 each. Whoa. And legs, $20 each. Man, it really they really jacked up the prices <laughs> because there's a finite number of arms and legs. So they know they got you over the barrel. <laughs> That's how they get you. Unbelievable. That's how they get you. But also, the physical taxing, uh, uh, the... Uh, to saw somebody's leg off. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Yeah. yeah, and the emotional trauma. I think maybe you want 20 bucks reimbursement. Uh, well, we're going to get into uh, later. Like, I'm not sure. Some of these guys didn't really suffer that much emotional trauma. Uh, but if you really want to hear what this was like and what the amputations were like and the type of tools that they use, mm. go back and listen to our, I think it was Battlefield Ghosts episode, uh, where we got into uh, <laughs> what Civil War like field doctors would have to go 
go through to uh, amputate limbs and such. It's not like the Hurt Locker. <laughs> no. It's, it's different. No, no, it's no, no. very no, no. different. Absolutely then. not. Yep. Kissel, are you going to go back and listen to the episode? <laughs> no, I remember what you were talking. Well, because of Ken Burns' Civil War documentary, he did actually do pretty good, intense work on the doctors yeah. and the bone piles in the hospitals. Yeah, he okay. got into it, but he didn't get into it in detail. But no. we got, I think it was Civil War Battlefields, I think. Civil War uh, Yeah, but no, I, I love those episodes. I just love my history episodes. Yep. And the Donner Party, they were not the only ill-fated wagon train. And most of the ill-fated wagon trains met with disaster because of shortcuts. Mm. One ill-fated wagon train led by the brother of the West's most famous mountain man, Joseph Meek, left a trail of shallow graves in its wake stacked six bodies deep in some places due to a typhus outbreak. Okay. What is typhus? I don't know. I know it causes fever, uh, and then you. I think it causes fever, and then your brain essentially boils, and then you die. Cool. Yeah, it's just one of those fucking awful old timey diseases that probably were. I think I know it's caused by extremely unsanitary conditions, mm. which is why it happened in wagon trains a lot. Like, say, if uh, society were to collapse and we were to go into some sort of post-apocalyptic scenario, sure. typhus would make a huge out, a huge comeback. Well, I hear if you get the vaccination for it, you just get it. And that doesn't make any sense to me. I am picturing the, the former pro wrestler Typhoon. Yeah. Every time I hear Typhus, I just think of a fat, hairy man in a onesie. But I think it's good for you because then yeah. it keeps you could be scared of it. Mm-hmm. You can see why they were scared of it. Is that imagine Typhoon showed up in the middle of the night while they were all asleep and just killed all the kids. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, more than 50 people died on the Meek expedition. Mm. Actually, more... Than what died on the Donner Party. Really? And even that wasn't as bad as another typhus outbreak that killed thousands in the gold rush of 49, when so many people died along the trail that you could find a grave every 200 feet in Mm. some stretches. And sometimes, when the man of the family died and the rest of the train couldn't spare anything to help, or their weight in the wagon was too much for the oxen to pull... The wagon train would just leave the women and children on the side of the road, just hoping that they could survive until the next wagon train came along. Oh, that's definitely going to happen. They're going to be totally fine. That's <laughs> where you want to be. The societal structure was very interesting because it's true, because it, it was a sexist society, especially in the 1840s. Women were just viewed as either they were essentially housekeepers, unless you some husbands, obviously people really did love each other and there were not good families, of course, like that. But as soon as your husband was dead and you were a free agent, it's not like... A Bobby Bonilla, wherever it's clamoring to get you. <laughs> right. It is. The, uh, mandatory Bobby Bonilla <laughs> reference. It is like you're, you're just stuck on the side of the road. Right. And people have to, out of their goodness of their hearts, take you on. And a lot of times, because it was also very interesting how the, the, the dichotomy between men's experience on the road versus women's experience on the road, where women have way more of a common experience and they would sit and talk and share information, where men were very more, I mean, obviously. Obviously, they were more bristly and protective of their privacy and wouldn't speak. So well, a lot of it was just very like you were just kind of left your own to hopefully a, a coven of naughty 
like women from somewhere in St. Louis that were just leaving their husbands found you and then you had to go wash each other in a stream. I don't think that that happened too often. Uh, Little known fact, though, the gal there with her kids, uh, side of the road, that's where they were left. They they started their first Tim Horton, and Tim Horton now, you'll see them at most uh, rest areas, does have a Tim Horton for you. It's the only place you'll see them, actually. I've never seen a Tim Horton not on the side of a highway. I saw They were all over the place when we went to Canada. Ah. Yeah. In Canada, that's where they are. That's their home. Mm-hmm. That's where they belong. Well, with leaving the women and children on the side of the road, I mean, that's not to, I mean, that makes it sound like the wagon trains were some sort of cruel machines that would abandon people at, you know, the, the very first opportunity mm-hmm. uh they did every they had they made every effort they could to help these women and children but you had to make at some point these people had to make a choice between their own family and mm. other people that they'd probably known for a week two months at most right. like a lot of these people were strangers up until like they hooked up at a certain uh choke points well maybe you do the national lampoon's vacation move take strap them to the roof <laughs> that's what the kids uh, the kids but, might like going that, on the roof but now that's the thing is that a lot of times what they would do uh is the wagons would be pulled by oxen uh and mm. of course like these oxen this is a, a for a lot of times like it's a 2500 mile journey and so the oxen could only pull so much weight uh, so a lot of times they would let the women and children walk beside the wagons and they would just fall further and further and further behind mm. and then eventually it would just be like alright see you later and then when they get there when they get to the camp at night sometimes they would catch up and then they'd see them sometimes they wouldn't and Jeez. then they were just gone forever All right. yeah dude Fucking rough out there. Yeah, for that, for people, it yeah. was it was not easy going. No, but that mm. was the four percent. The ninety six percent of the people that survived, at the very least, followed one very important rule. See, the most popular jumping off point for the journey west was Independence, Missouri, and it seems like you couldn't turn a corner without a well-meaning doomsayer telling you to never set out for California later than April 1st. Hmm. Well, I couldn't help but notice you got a wagon all full of your stuff there. It's uh, nice. Yeah, it's great stuff. <laughs> filled with coal. Shovels. Filled with, you got a nice stove in there looking heavy. Yeah. You look at a calendar recently? <laughs> I don't even know what a calendar is. Oh, that's funny, because I just invented it. It's April 5th. Oh, you know the... you fucked, right? Oh, man. I'll be here taking this corn, because there's corn up in them nail wagons. And I'm going to take it and put that corn so it's up in my wagon. All See? Right. You get the shovel. Yep. I'm going to get back to eating my Vienna sausages. <laughs> Great camping food. Oh, the best. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the absolute latest one could leave and hope to somehow make it to California before the snows made the Sierra Nevada mountains impassable was May 1st. My birthday. Yeah. And remember James Reed, the Mm. arrogant guy with the uh, guidebook and the shortcut and thought everything was going to be hunky-dory? He left two weeks after. After May 1st. Did he not run into the character that Henry just played? (laughs) He ran into a lot of people on the way that said, turn 
back. Why do no one listen? Why does no one listen to those people? Pure arrogance. Uh, that's Pure what arrogance. about James Reed is that he was very arrogant. He was aristocratic. He was haughty. Uh, and he actually left out from Independence, Missouri with like a luxury wagon that was like two stories, had like these really nice couches, like a stove up top. Uh, it was the dumb. He approached everything in the dumbest way possible. You ever seen well, Deadwood? Yes, I've yeah. seen a little bit of Deadwood. Yeah, remember uh, the the widow Garrett's uh, husband? Uh, and he's like, I think it would be a fine adventure to come out here to Deadwood and get some gold. And then he uh, ends up getting killed uh, mm. by Dan in the head with a rock. Spoiler! That uh, that's yeah. like the fourth episode. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I don't want to be too much of a spoiler when it comes to Deadwood. They say the C word a lot. <laughs> they a do. A lot. But... But uh, that was very interesting because, well, his wife suffered from sick headaches, so she had migraines. And mm-hmm. so he was trying to convince everybody because they were really well established where they were. He had made a fuck ton of money. They want, He wanted to go west because everyone had kind of sold this idea that California was where you would definitely be a millionaire. But oh, this yeah. was the kind of shit that I didn't realize, right? Where it was like, as I was started reading, like, oh, there's... When I first thought it was the Donner Party, I just assumed it was just like one family. Yeah. But it was the the Reed family left with the Donner Party. There yeah. were multiple families all together, which I didn't really understand. Mm. And we it became the Donner Party later on. But James Reed was the one who basically led the first go. And the Donner brothers were a part of that. Also well-to-do, but a little bit older. But what I did like them, they all said about these guys, especially about the Graves family as well, was that they are, these are not soft the rest of them were not soft people no james reed was slightly soft but he still was like a a self-made man who believed in a lot of of his own views and he he come by he came by his money the hard way well no i mean james reed actually wasn't soft he was a veteran of the black hawk wars Mm, Uh, he had served alongside abraham lincoln like james reed was actually a tough motherfucker anyone who went out there like everyone who went out there like if you were soft you died Really fucking fast. Hmm. And so the Reeds and the Donners, they hooked up in Independence, Missouri. And so the two families set off on a 2,500-mile journey across untamed America. It was only supposed to take four months. It would be almost a year before either family reached California. And only one of those families would arrive intact. The other would lose eight members before rescue finally came. All right. Um, and here, and actually, what is very interesting is actually, um, I talked to my mom, and I found I have an old letter uh, from one of the frontier families that I belong to uh, that went across this great country, and it was very interesting. It's a historical piece. I actually want because I wanted. Yeah. Is it cool if I read it on the show? Yeah, the, go ahead. Yeah, this is amazing. The Zabrowski family line went west. Yes. Yeah, to Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> we lived in Staten Island. We were west of Staten we were We already were in Staten Island. We went west of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Dearest Aunt Gorski, <laughs> since jump off at St. Louis, we've been on the trail for nigh on 20 days. Reckon we've traveled 65 miles as the crow flies. Nug supplies are holding. <laughs> but old man Cracker says we're about to be amidst some groovy rocks that got some swirls on them, so... My cousin and I are afeard the Nug supply may dwindle before the sweet embrace of Oregon territory, then on to Alta, California. We are excited to see Mexicans and are assured by many that they do not have horns and poison sacks, as some of the older members of our party have read in scientific papers. When the food supplies dwindle, I have already chosen our teamster, John Dundelmore, as the subject of my hunger. 
Many are insisting I am mad by choosing this man this early. Some so passionate in their cause, they say I should, quote, have my berries smashed by a rock. (laughs) But every day I see John tugging on our wagon, his rump flexing in the Utah sun, his brow wet with exertion. Much like a moist roast that you would make, Aunt Gorski. The more I think, gee willikers, I want to cut off a chunk of that piece of shit and put it in a hot dog bun. Uh, What was the name of the relative that wrote that wonderful letter? Henry Zabrowski Sr. Henry Zabrowski Sr., 1846. All right. They were classy. They were classier back then. They were. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries, for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. People think the new fresh fragrances from Glade are fresher than fresh, like artist Priscilla. This smells like houses in the Hampton Champagne Toast down in Brazil. Smells like anything you think could happen, probably will. Explore the new Glade Fresh collection today. So the first bad omen for the Donner Reed party came when the blind, consumptive grandmother that the Reeds had brought along died while the settlers were building a ferry to get them across a flooded river. <laughs> she well, did because she did. She's like, I don't want to die, you know, with my you know, parent. Like, if you leave. I'm never going to see you again. I'm going to die anyway. Just bundle me up into a wagon, and then I'll die eventually, and then just fucking throw me in a hole. Got to think about space here. There's not a <laughs> yeah. lot of it to go around. Okay. It was a pain in the ass, and it sounded like, honestly, her death was a bit of a relief, but everyone was also very sad because the children would go and look upon her bed and and wish she was there, but you know that bed was probably pretty gross. Oh. <laughs> this old woman just hacking up blood, just bouncing up and down on the trails. <laughs> Kill me. Yeah. Kill me. Me, like you begging the kids. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to think about the beds too yeah. much. Ugh. Well, this whole mess—the ferry and the funeral for the old lady who is definitely never making it to California—that set the Donners and the Reeds back five days, which wouldn't have been a big deal had they left on time. But since they hadn't, this one delay at the very beginning of their trip would result in their doom. Oh, my goodness. Why'd they have a five-day funeral? Well, I mean, the fer- they had to build a ferry for their wagons to get across a flooded river. I big blue- see. Dude, across that was the big problem. blue river. Yeah, yeah. You right. don't understand. But still, they took a couple days off for the funeral in the morning. <sighs> you got to get to you- work. It was sacred. Bodies were sacred at the time period. And as things go on the trail, you find out they become less and less sacred. But when they were, like, you got to remember, every step is a pain in the ass. It is if it it was raining, 
They're up to their fucking knees in mud. They're having fun for a while, but eventually it gets immediately like, what is this shit? If you have to go over any sort of hill that the ox can't get over, you got to get the ox over one at a time. Then you have to go and you get their wagons over, where it's like you have them hitch it up, where you save two that will go and go over the ridge with the wagon mm. on it. Then if you get to a river that you can't go over yourself, then you got to build a whole fucking thing to float. The wagon's on, and you gotta build it. It's not right, there. Right. You can't go to like, you're not Elon Musk. You can't just like pull a thing out of your behind like you're a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. All of a sudden, you got a fucking inflatable raft. Yeah, I would have stayed in Oklahoma. Yeah. That's my official decision here. Well, you would have had to go south. Uh, can't I just stay? They started in Missouri. There's like two uh, states between Missouri. Like, you have to go through Missouri, then you'd have to go through Kansas. And actually, by that, at that point in history, uh, Oklahoma was still reserved for the Cherokees, I believe. Mm. It wasn't until the uh, late 1800s that the government opened up the Oklahoma Territory uh, to uh, white settlers. And that's where uh, the term Sooners comes from. Oh. Because they all, there was a, 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 there was a date, like a cutoff date, uh, where they said, like, all right, like on this date, you guys can run, you can make Make your land claims, but then a couple of sneaky Oklahomans, they went on the land early. They kind of snuck around mm. all the guards, and they were called Sooners. Once again, sir, we are here. We are already here. <laughs> this is not land for sale, sir. No, no, no. You see, in my mind, I just make y'all a figure of my imagination. <laughs> I am real. Um... No, your screaming's fake. <laughs> That's sad. That's one way to put it, huh? Well, besides all of uh, just the actual dangers, people got on each other's fucking nerves sure. on the trail because they didn't oh know each other. They didn't know these people, and sometimes personalities clashed. And the Donners and the Reeds, they found that they were starting in a clash before they even got out of Kansas. I'm sure so they're, they're like a couple hundred miles out, and already mm. they're like, I fucking hate this guy. I'm sure there was their version of a Timothy McVeigh who's like, play bad company off bad company <laughs> by bad company again, please. It's the same fiddle music again and again. It's right. just like, I can't hear how green the grass grows in Wichita <laughs> one more time. <laughs> But even so, the journey was more or less smooth sailing across what came to be known as the states of Wyoming and Nebraska. In fact, Tamsin Donner, the matriarch of the Donner family, famously wrote, If I do not experience something far worse than I have yet done, I shall say the trouble is all in getting started. Oh, that's very inspirational. Tamsin Donner. 1846. Thank you for letting me know the year once again. <laughs> Cut to 1847. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> and all the while, the wagon train kept picking up more folk. There were the Murphys, the Breens, the Eddies, and the aforementioned Graves family, who were chicken and bee farmers with nine kids. Hey, See, all right. It's easy to get a chicken and bee farm going. Because what you do is you get daddy, cover him in honey. Right. You start running around, chickens and bees start attaching themselves to him. And then you bring him back to where the food is. And it's a guy going, <laughs> which is also where the term from, where it's technically it's, the original term is you get more chicken and bees with honey oh, than vinegar. And yeah, you yes. go out there, and that's how you build a farm. It was old time. Interesting. Can we just agree that the the Eddie family is definitely the one that's like always in the bathroom, <laughs> just eating <gasps> all the ham sandwiches? Oh, 
Uh, I wish I could get inside the wagon, but my butt won't fit. Oh, man. Actually, the Eddies were the cattle family. Uh, they were, yeah, they I were bet. one of the biggest livestock families okay. in the end. Because as the other thing, too, is that it wasn't just wagons. A lot of these people were, like, driving 30, 40 head of cattle all throughout mm. that, you know, from one side of the country to the other. Well, that was a part of it I didn't realize about the Donner Party. Yeah. That it's fucking 80 people deep, and they've got all of these animals, and they have every single stitch of everything they own in these wagons. Yeah. And they really did believe in themselves. They were like, we're just going to bring a whole house across <laughs> the mountains. <laughs> and they're like, well, it's it's insane what they did. Yeah. <laughs> like Sa- news. Oh, yeah, man. Like In fact, like Sarah Graves, she just married this guy named Jay Fosdick. She looked at this entire journey as her fucking honeymoon. W- well, you know what? It's... I guess he dodged a bullet. Uh, it's easy to do. I don't even know. Well, and they would talk about how they would have to keep watch for Native Americans at night. And what they would do is that that was the only time they get to spend alone. And she'd get to go and they get to spend the, the one time. They, like what man and wife loved to do in the 1840s, which is hold hands. Wow. Wow. Well, he got real lucky with her. Oh, yeah. Actually, there was one whole uh, passage in uh, The Indifferent Stars Above where they talked about, like, all the different, like, spermicides that the women used to trade with each other, Mm. all the sorts of, like, sponges they would make. People fucked. A lot. Well, oh, I'm sure. Fuck, what else people was fucked there? a lot, and they also said that they did not know that they were pregnant until the quickening of the baby, which meant that they'd feel the baby kick. And so, if you kind of maybe thought you were pregnant, because a part of what they would say is like you'd have the same symptoms, your breasts would swell, your your menstruation would stop. Is that sort of happening? Um, you the one of the big cures for uh, a baby that if you don't want to be pregnant on the trail is vigorous exercise. It's essentially having big Pete grab you and just bounce you up and down on his fucking shoulder until the baby stopped being inside you anymore. Oh, yeah. Vigorous exercise. Oh, yeah, man. First-term abortion was very common on the trail. Okay. Well, at night, you know, this this stuff, it wasn't all bad times, because at night, Jay Fostick was actually known for pulling out his fiddle, oh. and this right here, you know, they made notes of what tunes he would play. This was one of the Donner Party's favorite tunes. And they'd get up on the back of the wagon train and they'd dance and they'd slap their knees and everyone would laugh and it would be a wonderful time out on the prairies of Wyoming. Wow. I'd definitely be eating a lot of those Vienna sausages, listening in the back room, having a nice smile on my face. But this is the Ken Burns vibe we're going for. Yeah. Where you can kind of just see. Yeah. What it would be like. Mm-hmm. And in addition to the families were a whole host of teamsters that used to drive their wagons. There were servants. There were cooks. And just various other single men all looking for a way out west. Name's Earl. <laughs> <laughs> How are, why are you why? here? Uh, well, I wouldn't say I'm only searching for trim out here on the trail, <laughs> but... Yeah. And possum pelts. <laughs> Get out of here, Earl. <laughs> all right. Okay. And all 87 people would be a part of what history came to know as the Donner Party. Mm. Of those 87, 46 of them would be dead of either starvation, disease, accidental gunshot wound in two cases, and at least four others, murder. And the horrible thing was, it didn't have to be that way. Even though the people of the wagon train would eventually elect George Donner as the leader of the party because everyone liked him, they called him Uncle, 
James Reed was the guy who made all the big decisions. Shadow government. <laughs> Shadow government, yeah, yeah, deep yeah, state. That's what's yeah. James here. Reed is Cheney, and uh, yeah, that's why we call him the Bush years instead of the mm. Don, instead of the Cheney years. Uh, interesting. And James Reed, he had warning. First of all, the Native Americans weren't quite blanketing the ground with skulls as much as Hastings had claimed. The day after Tamsin wrote her optimistic letter, Pawnees stole a big chunk of the settlers' cattle. Hmm. Then, just as the settlers had stolen five of them back, the Pawnees attacked, killing one of the settlers with an arrow and taking another prisoner before another search party ran the Pawnees off just as they were stripping their prisoner naked, oh, presumably yeah, for some sort of Horrible torture. Okay. They do. They did a real bad torture to these guys. And partially it was because they said normally the Native Americans were like largely indifferent to the settlers. Yeah. They would go. They would. They, they had new shit. Like they had cool toys and trinkets. They would go and try to trade for them for the most part. And then like they'd make off with a couple of horses every once in a while. They'd come steal some oxen. Basically the younger. They said that younger Native American men would kind of make sport of maybe just going and grabbing some shit from them. Basically because they're fucked. But we're going to see later on, they circle like vultures in the third leg of their trip. Mm -hmm. Where it's like a bunch of Native Americans are tracking them for a while, just being like, oh, these white people are fucked. Let's get their (laughs) stuff. Yeah, but then later on, uh, you can see how helpful that they were to that certain tribes were uh, to the settlers because really that's and mm. that is really something that uh, uh, another episode that I really want to do later on uh, is just pretty much like the old west like the Native Americans in the old west and the difference between all the different tribes uh, like mm. they were as different from each other as countries are uh, to us some very aggressive uh, mm. could be extremely cruel and some uh, very peaceful and very helpful and loving uh, to anybody that came across their path. Now I'm just really excited to play the new Red Dead oh, PS4. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Yeah, All I'm right, really cool. excited. Spider-Man's pretty good. Is it good? You should get Spider-Man. All right. He's just a teenager, and I feel I don't weird. like. To, I don't just, like to he's celebrating not a teenager. Teenagers. He's like He's post-college. He's graduated. He's working for Octavius. That's Industries. even worse. Oh, yeah. He's a 23-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> well, after the Pawnee attack came the explicit war. Warnings. On June 27th, Reed ran into an old friend named James Clyman that Reed had served with in the Black Hawk Wars alongside Abraham Lincoln. What do you mean he ran into him and was like, what are you doing out here? Actually, yeah, Dude, over on the here. trail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You get out! What the heck? What are you doing? Like, like freaking Groundhog's Day? <laughs> Ned? Ned? Ned Ryerson? James? James Clyman? What From you? the Black Hawk War? You old so-and-so, get over here! How is that possible? Dude, I mean, Clyman showed up, and he's covered in muck. Uh-oh. And he's just like... He reads us like, oh, we're taking Hastings cut off to go take a look at it. I'm just gonna gotta forget my make sure to do my Richard Dreyfus. Ah, we're taking the Hastings cut off. We gotta see what they're doing up there. We heard it's a shark in California, and I know for a fact I'm gonna go be a millionaire. And he's just like, don't fucking do it. Yeah, because mm. Kleiman had just come through the cutoff. And not only that, wow. but he'd just come through the cutoff with Lansford Hastings on Lansford's first trip through the cutoff since writing about it and they came out wow. on the other side like they were coming from california back into nevada and they got through it and they were like oh 
God, that wow. was fucking awful. And they were just two guys on horses. And the Donner Party, that's like, you know, I think nine wagon trains well. or nine wagons. And so Kleiman comes through and said, you cannot, cannot go through there with all these people with families and wagons. Uh, and that's the thing is that mm. Kleiman told him, it's like, there's a maze of canyons. That's the Wasatch Mountains. Then there's the horrific heat. That's the Salt Lake Desert. Then you're going to get to the Sierra Nevadas. That's craggy, snow-covered cliffs. And Reed, he just ignored this guy's advice. And this guy Jeez. was like an experienced mountain man. He knew what the fuck he was talking about. But Reed just pressed on, calling hmm. the Hastings cutoff, quote, The Nyer Route. Yeah. The it's the Nyer route. Nyer. Nyer like, route? You know, like, the time is nigh. Ah. The meaning, like, it's like, it would just be the, it was the soonest possible way to, it was the fastest possible way uh, wow. to get to California. I don't think so, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> just listen to the guy who gives you the ominous warning just once in your life. Well, Reed's confidence was buoyed even further on July 17th when he received a form letter from Lansford Hastings. See, Lansford, he'd sent a rider up and down the Oregon Trail telling settlers that he was waiting for them at Fort Bridger and would escort them all through the cutoff. And that actually, that is somewhat to Lansford Hastings' credit because Mm. once he came down and got through the trail, he's like, oh, fuck, these people aren't going to make it through on their own. So he waited there. He hired a very he hired like a very intense mountaineer guy to help him go look because he wanted to go look at the cutoff of himself finally. So he went and he looked at it and he went, Oh no, because you couldn't get wagons up there. Yeah. So he's like, What I'll do is because I'm still trying to build a bunch of people to come my way so I can get people over to California, is that well, I'll take them through and don't worry, I'll I'll handle the whole thing. It'll be mm. like there's no way they'll fail uh with me in charge, and then it turns out he wasn't really good at it. Well, well, he's very no, good at well no, that's the thing. He actually did make it through with him in charge. Uh, yes, well, well, the other people did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made it. They did actually make it through. Well, like we'll get into that later. But yeah, with, when Lansford was in charge, people did make it through. Mm. It was just when Lansford wasn't in charge that well, things didn't go too well. You know, I don't know a lot about the technology of the time, but if you could create a giant robotic spider, uh, <laughs> like in Wild Wild yeah. West, perhaps now that, that would with be- the legs would be able to get over the mountains. Uh-huh. That would be very useful. Like, we're right. talking about a steampunk Donner Party, yes. which would be an incredible anime. <laughs> I would love to see it. Uh, you'd think that, you know, these people, they're on the Oregon Trail. You'd think they just keep going down the regular road at this point sure. because if Lansford Hastings is sending back uh, messages and saying, you need me to guide you through this, you'd think they'd be like, all right, well, you know what? We're on track to get to California by September. You know, that's long before the snow starts. So we're going to get to California by September, so let's just keep going. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, is that everybody was really fucking sick of each other at this point. Mm. And they were pretty tired of being on the road. They've been on the road since, uh, what is it, May. And it was now July. Uh, so they thought, all right. Let's just take this unproven shortcut that we have been warned is dangerous and let's shave about 350 miles off the overall trip. Mm. The only person who objected, one person objected, and that was Tamsin Donner. She said it was really fucking stupid to follow a stranger through an area they'd already been told by someone they trusted was impossible to get through. Mm -hmm. But she was a woman, Uh, and so they didn't care, and so she tried it. It was very sad, because she hit it on the head. She's like, 
You guys just read this in a pamphlet. <laughs> None of you have any idea what we're about to go do. The other trail, everybody else is doing it. We're the only ones going left. Why are we going left? Because we we're frontiersmen. I, I don't see. care. What if we just stay here? Because I'm the first thing. Now, like, Tamsin, there was always there was a first person who went down the organ trail as well. We a lot of them died. Be- <laughs> Those guys yeah, died too. I am not hysterical. And mm. so, at what came to be known as the parting of ways, most of the wagons turned right on the established trail, while nine wagons turned left towards Fort Bridger and the Hastings Cutoff. And on that day, July 19th, the group elected George Donner as their leader, and thus the Donner Party was born. All right. But when they arrived at Fort Bridger, Hastings wasn't there. He'd already gone ahead with a bigger wagon train. And furthermore, there had been more warnings down the road from friends. See, a journalist who had been riding with the wagons had ridden ahead to check out the trail. And he'd seen, just as Kleiman had, that it was a terrible idea to lead a whole wagon train down the cutoff. So he sent a letter to Fort Bridger telling them to turn back or stay put or who gives a shit, just don't go down this road. Hmm. But Fort Bridger was the last outpost before California. And if the Hastings Cutoff became popular, then the guy who ran the trading post there would stand to make a lot of money. Hmm. It's all about fucking money. This whole thing is about money. So he kept the letter to himself and contributed to the deaths of 46 people just to sell a few more pelts. Ooh. Pelts. Pelts. Well, I mean, they were quite cool. <laughs> yeah, and look at me. And I'm a person, I'm, I am... Born with pelts, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, so I don't need to purchase any. So for me, I would be immune to this rust. Uh, but I would be uh, the ideal con- uh, customer because I am virtually peltless. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe they have one of those fun things where where, where it's like a plastic toy, but it's also filled with gum. <laughs> yeah, you know those. We see those on the road all the time. They flatten the pennies. Oh, I love the flatten the penny machine. <laughs> Only costs fifty one cents, which is really weird. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten, moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at njm.com. 
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Well, things immediately started going wrong on the shortcut for the Donner Party. Two days out, a 13-year-old was riding his horse when the animal stepped into a prairie dog hole and threw the boy. Uh Uh-oh. And when the boy landed, he broke his leg, sending the bone through the skin. (laughs) And they were like, essentially, this uh, is like a death sentence. This is a very bad thing to happen. Having a kind of break like this where it's not easy to set because infection comes in and gangrene happen quite often. Mm-hmm. Made me think of that Paul George video, the basketball player. Did you ever see that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. ESPN was like, let's watch it again. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think we have to. But. So the party mm. sent back for help to Fort Bridger, and pretty soon an experienced mountain man showed up with a bundle of amputation gear, Ooh. ready to remove whatever limb needed removing. It's me, the bone splitter. Oh. <laughs> Finally, another calling. Finally, another job. For the bone splitter. <laughs> I think you like it too much, man. But just as the man was about to get started on the amputation, the parents who couldn't stand to hear their children's cries, because he's freaking out. Because yeah, this assume. guy, this grizzled, bearded mountain man is walking towards him with wide eyes, a bone saw in one hand, a meat saw in the other, and he just can't wait to get on this little boy's thigh. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> And so, because since the kid was screaming, freaking out, the parents like, couldn't stand it. So, like, don't do it. Don't do it. We'll take care of it ourselves. Don't cut off his leg. And they paid him $5 for his time. And, the, and they said the mountain man, he, like, left, like, dejected. Because, like, he was disappointed that he hadn't been allowed to show off his amputation skills. He worked really hard on those amputation skills. There was a bunch of chickens with no legs on his farm. <laughs> I mean, he is really focused. Wait a second. You can't give a bone splitter... Blue ball? (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to do with this now? (laughs) I guess I'll just go hack off a bunch of feed of cows. You know what? Honestly, it is a nice little methadone for me. Uh, as far as the ride went, it wasn't all that bad for the first few days because Hastings, he was only a few days ahead with the larger train. So there were wagon, they were wagon ruts for them to follow. Mm. But then the Donners found a note from Hastings stuck in some sagebrush. And the note said that the road up ahead was actually pretty terrible, if not downright impassable. So they should send a rider up ahead to Hastings for advice on a better route. Hmm. And the rider did find Hastings, but Hastings refused to come back. Instead, he just climbed up to a high peak, like pointed in a general direction, and said, that way would be theoretically better, so why don't you try that way? And then you'll come back around, and then you'll meet back at the wagon train up nor- or, uh, out west. I just don't know if anyone has any clue what they're talking about. They really no. don't. No. They, <laughs> they I mean, don't. Some of them do. <laughs> like the mountain, the mountain men of the time were the only ones who truly knew, as far as like settlers went, like of course, like every Native American tribe, they not only knew the land uh, like it was you know, a part of them, 
they also knew how to survive. The only ones out of the whites, uh, and also there were also a few black mountain men, uh, the o- they were the only ones who truly knew how to survive, and they were the only ones who truly knew the terrain. Mm. And then there were assholes like Lansford Hastings that were like, I'll go out there, I'll figure it out. Right. I'll well, yeah. make it up as I go along. I figured it out up to this point. Like, why? what's more? I can do with mountains. Mountains, blah, 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 blah or whatever. We'll get over. And then you have James Reed who's like, it's unbelievable. I'm going to have a fabulous time. We're going to go. Don't worry about it. We're going to, we're all going to together. All of this whole thing is going to be the easiest trip we've ever done. How's your headache, honey? It's still there. Good. That's good. Oh, my. Well, this path that was supposed to be theoretically better it proved to be even worse. Ah. Taking them 16 days to navigate the treacherous cliffs of the Wasatch Mountains. Ooh. It was it supposed was... to take a week. Mm-hmm. And even so, Reed still had the audacity to name the trail they blazed after himself. Oh. Calling it Reed's Gap. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking about calling it a fun little thing. Well, call it Reed's Pussy. <laughs> Is that too bad? Is that bad? I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean to go blue. I, didn't, I was just trying to have fun with it. I tried to lighten the mood. Everybody's fighting. Wow. Reed's Gap. Reed's huh? Gap. Oh, my goodness. But the worst of the shortcut was still to come. Eventually, they got through the Wasatch Mountains. Oh, now we're definitely in Reed's taint. Oh, man. This is getting really rough. Once we get to Reed's balls, I know we're screwed. Well, this is, uh, this is like, very hard. Yeah. When they came through the, the going through the Wasatch Mountains, it's like, we're going to do a little bit of yada yada. But it was, like, shockingly difficult. Hmm. They had to go and bring, and, and it took a 16, it was 16 days of driving the oxen up the mountains, them falling back. Having to get one or two over the thing, having to lift the wagons again, like chunk by chunk, they're going like they're doing it yard by yard, yeah, up the mountain. Yeah, they're Nightmare. moving, they're moving boulders. They're having to clear out thick brush with axes. I mean, mm. it was horrific work. And when they eventually got through and they were able to rejoin Hastings' original trail. They found another note, Uh-oh. but this one was barely readable. All they could make out was two days, two nights, hard driving, cross desert, reach water. Jeez. And, and when they got over the next hill, they were faced with the great salt desert of Utah. And dude, it is just piles of salt. Yeah. It mm. is Louis Anderson's dream out yeah. there. You go out there, you are just covered in salt, and it gets in your eyeballs, and it gets Ooh. in your mouth. And there's yeah. no water to drink no at all. Water. Like there, there's no drinkable water. Like they tried drinking water a couple times, it just made him violently ill. Oh wow, it's margarita country. That's what it is. That's what you gotta have there. It is margarita country. That's bars. a great idea. And that's where Jimmy Buffett always dreamed of as a little boy, a place where no rim would be unadorned. Oh. Now, it was supposed to be a 40-mile stretch, taking only five days. Okay. But it was actually closer to 100 well, and ended up taking over two weeks. It's a big difference there. Yeah. yeah. Lots of the oxen and cattle died from thirst, while others just took off in search of water. Numerous wagons had to be abandoned in the thick desert gunk mud that was created when water rose to the surface during the daytime. Mm. Needless to say, the Donner Party spent their entire time in the desert Terrified, miserable, and near death. By accounts, 
Everyone was caked with urine and feces, while the women stank of stale minstrel blood and yeast infections. Their faces were burnt and red, and their lips were split and bleeding. <sighs> By the time the Donners rejoined the established trail since leaving it at the parting of ways, it had been 68 days. <sighs> Those who had stayed on the tried and true Oregon Trail... They had reached the same point in 37 days. Wow. Oh God, to makes make... me want to punch myself in the face. <laughs> yeah, why did <laughs> they take this jackassy path? Oh. And to make matters worse, it was later discovered that the shortcut, instead of being 350 miles shorter, was actually 125 miles longer. No, no. When I said shortcut, I meant shortcut in the way that you were going to die younger. <laughs> it's like that kind of a shortcut. Oh, yeah. yes, I'm oh. Misunderstood. Oh, I, I didn't. I should have clarified. Yeah, the original train that they'd been a part of had passed through that point a month before. Oh my god! Yeah. Needless to say, tensions were running high, specifically towards James Reed. I don't really understand why everybody's mad at me. As well, far as I'm concerned, we should be mad at the desert. It's really the desert's problem, right? I mean, honestly, we chose to do this. I choose. The human brain is what I I blame. It's just even for having ideas. I blame ideas. Mm. And it all came to a head on a sand hill when the teamster for the Graves family, John Snyder, got his reins tangled up with the Reed's oxen. Which is really sad because John Snyder was like the fun guy of the group. Yeah. John Snyder, big, strapping, handsome, single mm. man that Ooh. was there. Dalliance with all the ladies. They were all, he was looking uh, really closely to Mary Sue Graves. They mm-hmm. were really close. And he was the one that would do the wagon dance. He would, they would pull down the, the flap of the wagon and he'd do his shuck and jive dance on top of it. They'd all clap and everyone loved him. Well, after the reins got tangled, both guys jumped off of their wagons. You know, John mm. Snyder jumped off his, and Reed's teamster jumped off his. Uh-oh. And of course, they got into an argument, and Snyder brought out a whip and bonked Reed's teamster <laughs> in the head with the butt of it. Oh. <laughs> so James Reed completely lost his shit, stepped in, and stabbed Snyder. Some say in the chest, some say in the neck. Ooh. Either way... John Snyder bled out right on that sand hill. You think oh. about that the next time one of you fuckers want to come for me, come at me, James <laughs> Reed. I'll tell you what, I stab a motherfucker. I stab a motherfucker, I let him bleed, I drink his blood, you motherfuckers. <laughs> no, James Reed has a temper, I guess, huh? You, well, I mean, everybody had a temper at yeah. that point. But the thing was, ever since they crossed the Continental Divide, there was no law to speak of. There was no government. So it was up to the party to decide what to do about this. Now, a lot of them wanted to hang Reed because, after all, he got him in this mess. And like Henry said, everyone loved Snyder. Mm. But cooler heads prevailed and it was decided that Reed should be banished from the group on only his horse, which at that time, damn near as good as a death sentence. But that night, Mm. his daughter snuck away and gave him a couple guns and some crackers. You remember at this point, like, kind of detract this. When they came over those mountains, they had to get rid of most of their stuff. And what they did realize is that right before going over the Wasatch Mountains, they realized they didn't have enough food to make it to California. They already knew that they didn't have enough food. So guys had to be sent ahead as well. So it's like all of this shit's kind of culminating. 
the, the whole thing's falling apart. Seems like And so it. the very thing, they take the leader, and they know, like, they didn't hang him. They wanted to see him hang him because what's so much of them to get the, whoa, whoa. Everyone's <laughs> sure. getting really excited. It's entertainment. We can hang him. He's watching him dancing on the rope. But there was, like, there's obviously, they knew that there was a finality when they watch him get on his horse and just go out into the fucking desert, and then he's gone. The guy that was leader. Yeah. Is now gone. But now that Reed was gone, the Donner Party was bereft of any leadership, even if the leadership was bad. So mm. the party started to break down. One old man named Hardcoop couldn't <laughs> keep up and was abandoned to his death in the desert. Ooh. Oh, this uh, this story is fucked up. The Hardcoop story? Yes. The story is like he was an older man. He was one of the single ones. He got sick and he got old and he couldn't walk anymore. And at this point, all of the food and all of the supplies were out of the wagons because they had to make the wagons as light as possible so that whatever oxen were left could take, could move the wagons. They're going and he's just like, no one will take me. No one will take me into their wagon. And they're like, you got to just walk, old man. We're walking. You got to walk, too. And they just talk about it. It's what we talked about with the with the women when they're left alone as they're going. He's just slower and slower and he's they're just watching him fade behind them hmm. as he's walking and walking and if there are a couple of people like the Donners themselves felt really guilty because they didn't have enough food in order to, to give them food and they were like they, they, we, they try to look back and the last time they saw him he was just sitting on the desert ground his feet cracked and bleeding just too exhausted to move mm-hmm. and then they just left him in the rear view mirror yeah and that night when the old man finally got left behind uh, they were camping and there were a couple of guys on horses and they're like uh, you guys need to go back and find him and give him some food or help him or something and they were both like no they, no, why? they were like they're like why what what's the point like, maybe help out the old man he's gonna die i mean they're yeah. like what what's the point we're, we're gonna give him food and he's gonna survive for what another six hours like, it's a kindness to let him die Jeez. And also the stuff mm. too with the oxen just leaving when they were just sitting there at night and the, the oxen were so thirsty they bolt and like they were talking about like them wandering through the white salt deserts like just trying to find these animals that would help them, and they can't. They come back and they're just going crazy from hunger. And then one of my favorite little bits was that the September the, on September thirteenth is that they stopped, um, and the company. Um, they said one of the guys that was keeping a journal said uh, they, there was this place that Reed called it in his diary, Mad Woman Camp. And he offered no explanation, but the only thing they can assume is that the women and the men had completely divided it at this point, and that the women were just mad, just being like, <laughs> fuck these men, and they went and they camped on their own, just all like, super upset, while fucking the, all of the men stood in silence, wondering what the fuck it is they're going to do. Well, after the old man was left behind... Paiutes started raiding their camps, stealing or just plain killing oxen and horse uh, oxen and horses. Like they just started killing oxen with poison arrows. I think they killed like twenty that hmm. way, just cause, just cause they wanted to. Then they stole thirty head of cattle, and the settlers at night they could hear the Paiutes laughing at them from the cliffs, which That's is just fucked. salt That's in the wound. <laughs> yes, yeah. fuck, dude. Yeah. Like you could, cause you could just hear like. <laughs> 
<laughs> you just get roasted. Yeah. Right. From, like during this time period, it's just like, don't do this. Why yeah. are you doing this? Imagine getting roasted as you're dying. Yeah. Now, what's so funny about this? Huh? What is so funny about all of this? Uh, well, it seems that uh, that white man down there is so big that when uh, he dies, they're going to need a separate coffin for his feet. <laughs> hey, I heard that. All right. Good God. Then the murder continued. Now, two settlers said that the Paiutes had killed a German named Wolfinger, but what they'd really done was murder him for his valuables when his wagon lagged behind. Hmm. And this is another interesting thing that I didn't know about wagon trains, is that it wasn't like they were all in this really tight formation the entire time. Like, sometimes there'd be a span of, like, a mile or two in between the wagons. Yeah. They just all kind of knew that they would reach a point, and they would all, like, kind of come back together like an they kinda, mm. It was like kind of an accordion, where it would stretch out during the day and then come back together at night. That is interesting, yeah. Marcus. Thank you for sharing that perspective on wagon trains. No, listen, <laughs> it is interesting. Is so successful, and we had the, and Marcus just uttered the uh, sentence. This is another interesting thing about wagon trains. Yeah, wagon I, trains I, are fucking fascinating. I'm still waiting to hear about the shovels. That's all I know. But now we're into wagon trains. There's three different types of shovel. There's your wife shovel, the one you fuck. There's your daughter shovel you use to dig, and there's your digging shovel you pay to dig. <laughs> Now, these people, they weren't completely abandoned. Mm. A scout had actually gone ahead for some supplies and had brought back a couple of Miwok Indian guides named Lewis and Salvador to help with the rest of the journey, even though this was much to the detriment of Lewis and Salvador. Dude, I want to hear their story. I want to hear what they went through because they showed up and you could hear the, through the book, Like they don't talk about it like this, but you can hear the forehead slap. Yeah. When they come and see what they have signed up for, where they see this whole group of starving, sick, beaten people that now have to go do. Because that's the other thing. The Sierra Nevadas, the last leg, that's the hardest part of the entire fucking trip. Yeah. Mm. It's like they they just did. They, incre- they doubled the hardness and difficulty level of the rest of the trip in the middle of it, only to lead to what is then the worst part. Three weeks after they're supposed to be there. Three weeks then, they were supposed to be there. And that's six weeks after they should have been there. And James Reed had made it to California, emaciated and near death. Mm. The crackers had only lasted so long, (laughs) but he had his gun, so he was able to shoot game. Ah. Now, James Reed knew that his party wasn't doing well, but... He also knew that even if they got caught in the snow on the other side of the Sierra Nevadas, he thought they had enough livestock to hold them over till spring. No way. But And when James Reed left, they did. But what he didn't know was that the Donner Party had lost virtually all of their livestock since he'd been banished. They lost 30 head of cattle. I mean, that is Mm. thousands of pounds of meat right there. Mm. Uh, James Reed still wanted to take a few men back through, but he was informed that the Mexican-American War had just begun over the annexation of Texas, and there were no men left at the fort that James Reed had arrived at to go back over the Sierra Nevadas. Oh, my. So Reed, if, who, if you'll remember, was actually a decorated war veteran, signed up for service and rode south to victory. So he just went to fight in the war? <laughs> he just went to war. Okay, I'm reading the writing on the wall here. I guess it's time to go back to war. All right, that's fine with me. It's fun. I'm actually best at war. You guys are going to love me. I really know how to decorate a wagon. 
Wow. Well, Reed, I mean, he was a he was an absolute he was a veteran. He was a decorated war veteran. He knew what he was doing. Uh, and I couldn't quite figure out uh, exactly what Reed's motivations for going to war was because people are kind of split on it. Like it's either that he rode south to war uh, in order like so mm-hmm. he knew like as long as the Mexican-American War was going on, there weren't going to be men to find his family. So it's like, I must go and do my part to bring this war to an end. Right. Or it's like, well, family's not going to be through till February. Ah, let's go to war. I got to do, I got to fill my time with something. So let's go check out this war, see how it's going. Maybe a little bit of both. Well, one thing he said that it maybe he tried to conscript himself to join the war to get men to come with him as a guarantee to make sure he has his whole family, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, he fucked off. He's got, such, he a got, great, the fuck out he's got such a great history of leading people to paradise. <laughs> well, meanwhile, the Donner Party had arrived at what was then known as Truckee Lake, near the site of modern-day Reno, Nevada. Ooh. And it had been a long, terrible journey, but the Donner Party had just one more obstacle to go. The hardest part, okay. the Sierra Nevada Mountains. Mm. Now, it was late October, which usually was fine, but the snow had already begun on October 7th, a month earlier than usual. They reached this spot, which was like a common grouping area before going over the mountains. And they said they woke up one morning and they saw that there was snow on the peaks. And everyone were like, oh, shit, we are not in good shape. (laughs) Like, everyone got a... Like, a ripple of fear went through the whole camp of what was left of them. Yeah. Mm. So an advance party tried to make it through the pass, but a sudden storm came in on their way and buried them in snow up to their oxen's chest. And before they knew it, they could go no further. They tried again the next day, but it was just too late. They had missed their shot by two days. Wow. They had no choice but to turn back, and there on the shores of what came to be known as Donner Lake would they pass into one of the darkest chapters in American history. Cool. All right. We have made you wait for dessert because (laughs) next week we're going to be talking a lot about cannibalism. Well, I'm very excited because it's a it's a a topic It's because a part of it. Obviously, it's very contested as to whether or not the Donna Party actually did eat each other. Um, And I think that it's been since proven it is uh, true. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people ate each other back in the day Hmm. uh, out of sheer hunger. We're going to talk about really what the, the harrowing experience it was to be stuck in the mountains while it's snowing for an entire month where you are not prepared for it. You have no clothes, you have no food, you have no shelter. You are just in cloth... Um, and that's it. You have a, and then they build shit as they go. But it, mm. to me, this is what gave me nightmares. I mm-hmm. had nightmares about being stuck underground, covered yeah. in snow, while you're trying to, you're doing a fire in the snow. Yes. We, we, we've recovered this body. It's a Zabrowski. He's wearing his big Johnson t-shirt. <laughs> it's a satirical t-shirt that was very popular in the 90s with sort of juvenile children. You kind of a euphemism or puns relating to their... Big Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's where we're going to pick up next time. You know, when the Donners and uh, when the Donners go through uh, the Donner Party goes through uh, the worst winter on record at that time. Wow. Uh, It is at every point. It is almost as if uh, God wanted this to happen. It's fucked up. 
it's also a lot about the resilience of the human spirit up to a point because a lot mm-hmm. of these guys, especially the Graves, the Graves are my favorite family of the whole crew because I love the father. I love the father, Franklin Graves, who we'll cover a little bit more in the second episode. Man, oh man, though. Woo. It is rough to be the new boyfriend, which we'll find out. Yeah. All right. Real. Well, let's not give it all away. No, we're not going to give it all away. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, this is uh, among the most uh, harrowing stories that I've, I've ever read. Most terrifying and one of the most fascinating. Oh. Uh, so yeah, we will. Yay! Uh, next See, week. kids, history can be fun. That's sure. what we always say. Well, here's another interesting thing about wagon trains. <laughs> <laughs> Wheels. Now, most of them, uh, most of the carts have. Now, Ben, if you didn't know, what's that? Uh, the yoke uh, of the, an oxen, yes, yeah. uh, you know, that will go around its neck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, these can be refashioned into snowshoes. Uh, pardon me, pardon me. It's actually the ox bows, not the yoke. Uh-huh. They can be fashioned into snowshoes. <laughs> they can also be fashioned into really nice southwest wall hangings, which I have seen in certain Arizona homes. Yes, yes. Um, beautiful. All right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Now, that's the Donner Party Part 1. Doesn't seem like a party to me, as ah. I said at the top <laughs> of the show, <laughs> Yeah, you've already... We've done this. Yeah. We've done we this. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening. Uh, check out our Patreon if you haven't done that yet. Thank you all so much for giving to that. Henry and I will have an interview coming out pretty soon here. Um, and let's see. Anything else as far as social media? We're on Instagram. We just went over 100,000, so we're, we're really doing it. Um, on Instagram, yeah. uh, LP on the left, on Twitter. Check that stuff out. Uh, and if you guys want to come see us live, if you're over on the East Coast, we're going to be playing Washington, D.C. Yeah. on November 4th. Uh, we're going to be playing the Death Becomes Us True Crime Ooh. Festival. Uh, but yeah, tickets are available online. You can find those uh, if you just Google Last Podcast on the Left, Washington, D.C., or Last Podcast on the Left, uh, Death Becomes Us. Uh, we uh, hope to have a very special guest for that show. Yes. That's going to be very cool. We we hope to have that all worked out by then. Uh, but, yeah, we hope to see you soon. And we're also going to be announcing uh, a bunch of uh, live dates. We're hoping to announce a tour here real soon uh, here in the U.S. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Yes, awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. We love you. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. I'm so excited. You know what? Because probably the most basic part of me now is it's the excitement for Halloween. It's coming. Not only am I getting married soon, but a part of it's also it's like it's just nice that it's it's ha- it's like happening. We're getting to the spooky season, man. Woo! Woo! Yeah, it's kind of random that you just brought up Halloween, but I love it. <laughs> I think about it all the time. <laughs> Hell again, everyone. Negotiations. Hell me. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. 
Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom, an official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it, kbb.com it.